Good morning. Great to see you. Happy Easter. Uh, my name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and part of the teaching team. And uh, we are, as Seth said, continuing our series through the book of Ephesians. We've actually been doing this uh, most of this year, and we'll do it most of the rest of the year. And it just works out perfectly that this passage we're looking at today is so fitting with Easter. And so if you join us again next week, we'll just pick up in verse 8 and keep going. But this uh, just fits really, really well. Here's a question I have for you as we begin our time in God's Word. If you had to summarize the message of Christianity in two words, which two words would you pick? Don't answer out loud. Just uh, think about it. If you had to summarize the message of Christianity in two words, you only get two words to do it, what would you pick? I realize there's a broad diversity of people here. Some of you have been Christians for a very long time. Some of you aren't Christians at all. And lots of, uh, kind of, lots of us in the middle, kind of newer, not as new, more experienced, less experienced. So there's a lot of different answers you might give. But what are two words that you would use to describe the message of Christianity? Some of you, it might be no idea. No idea. I got no idea. I, don't, I was hoping you would tell me because I don't really know. Maybe you're just kind of new to this whole thing. Uh, maybe you have heard of Christianity. You've heard of Jesus, but you don't really know what the message of Christianity is. Today's a perfect day for you to hear it because you'll hear it. Others of you might think wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Like, I mean... I'm glad it helps you all feel better, and I'm glad that it kind of gives you an emotional pick-me-up, but this is just wishful thinking. I mean, let's be serious here. People don't rise from the dead. I know some of you are thinking that. And some of you are, like, upset about it. I can't even believe all these people are celebrating this guy that they say rose from the dead. That's, that's just wishful thinking. Others of you would think, you know, I kind of wish it was true. Like, I'd kind of like it to be true. I just, I just got a lot of hang-ups. I got a lot of questions. I don't, I don't buy it. Some of you, especially if you're more religious or more spiritual or you're kind of, you know, in church more, you might think that the message of Christianity is summed up in the words, do better. Do better. That's what a lot of people think it is. It's just, hey, do better. It's really saying, you know, God just wants you to be a little bit better, a little bit cleaner, a little bit nicer version of yourself. That's what Christianity is. It's just a call to do better. Well, listen, this passage that we're going to look at here in this passage, I think, gives us two words that are such a beautiful and accurate description of the Christian message, and here's what they are. But God. But God. We were hopeless, but God. We were afraid, but God. We were ashamed, but God. We were guilty, but God. We were enslaved, but God. We were dead, but God. The message of Christianity is but God. God intervenes into history. This is the first two words of these verses that we're looking at here today. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. But God. I actually have a file on my computer where I keep track of different sermon series ideas, things I might want to preach someday. And one of the things I have in there is a series that maybe someday we'll do called The Big Butts of the Bible. Because the Bible actually has a lot of things like this, where it's like, here was our condition, but, here's our, here's our situation, but, this is one of my favorites, but God. The whole message of Christianity is these two words, but God. God intervened when we were helpless, when we were hopeless, when we had no future, but God. So that's what we're going to look at today. What did God do 
And why did he do it? That's what we understand in this passage. So before we dive in, let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning uh, believing you're a God who speaks through your word and hopeful and eager that you would deepen our faith, deepen our trust, deepen our confidence in you. Help us to see what you did by moving us from death to life and why you did it. Help us to see you more clearly than maybe even ever before. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. What did God do and why did God do it? Well, here's what God did. God moved us from death to life. God moved us from death to life. But God moved us from death to life. We were dead in our trespasses is what it says in verse 5. Do you see that? Even when we were dead in our trespasses. That may sound severe, but that's actually just summarizing again what the Apostle Paul said in the first three verses. So this is verses 4 to 7. In verses 1 to 3, he said we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We followed after the course of the world. We followed after satanic and demonic power. And we followed just after our own flesh. It said in verse 3 that we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In other words, we live for ourselves. That's a lot of what sin is. Sin is breaking the rules, sure. Sin is building a life on things other than God, yeah. But what this seems to indicate is that Sin is this reality in our hearts. Think of it this way. It's like your heart has this little computer in it. And everything that you experience, every room you walk into, every environment you're in, every interaction you have, every relationship, every situation is, is coming into your life. And your heart has this little computer that's kind of asking the question with everything you're experiencing, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? That's the essence of sin. What's in it for me? It's selfishness. Listen, the opposite of love is not hate, it's selfishness. And because we are sinners, we don't want God to be on the throne. We don't want what God wants to be the most important. We're thinking, well, what's in it for me? And because of that reality, we are dead spiritually. This is exactly what God told Adam and Eve would happen. God said to Adam and Eve, the very first people, he said, listen, you're in this Garden of Eden. It's beautiful. It's spectacular. Eat, work, play, have fun. It's going to be great. But here's the thing. Don't eat of this one tree. Because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Sure enough, they ate of it. And they died spiritually. Why? Well, because they moved away from God, and God's the source of life. If you move away from God, you move away from life. You're dead. And that's our condition. Dead in our trespasses. That's where we were. Well, what happened? But God. That's what happened. What did God do? God made us alive together with Christ. Do you see that? Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. This is what God did. God resurrected us. God took us out of that dead situation and made us alive. When I read these words, I can't help but think of the the story about Jesus and his friend Lazarus. You can read about it in the book of John. It's John chapter 11. Jesus had this great friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus had a few sisters, Martha and Mary. They were all very close. Well, Jesus is off teaching in another place and doing his work and his ministry, and all of a sudden he gets word that Lazarus isn't doing well. 
And rather than rushing to kind of help him in the moment, he just stays and he keeps doing what he's doing. And then he gets word that Lazarus has died. He says, okay, I want to I go visit. And he goes there and he's weeping. And Martha and Mary are there, the, the sisters. And they're saying, Jesus, if you had been here, Jesus, where, where, Jesus, why didn't you come? Why didn't you show up? You could have stopped this. And Jesus says something really odd to them. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what he tells her. He says, listen, you didn't mean me to be here then because I'm here now and I'm the resurrection and the life and if you believe in me, you'll live. Here's the thing. God had told Adam and Eve, and the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Jesus told Martha and Mary, if you believe in me, you will surely live. Jesus is the resurrection. Jesus is the life. And so it's this crazy story, right? There's all these people mourning, and they're near the tomb, and Jesus does this bizarre thing. He tells everybody, he says, hey, move the stone away from the grave. And one of the sisters objects, and and this is so like so much detail and kind of funny that I think it must have really happened. I don't think you would have just made up this part of the story. Because one of the sisters says, Jesus, you can't, you can't do this. He's, he's been in there for four days. His body stinks. Jesus stands. The opening to the tomb. And he shouts into the tomb, Lazarus, come forth! And the command of Jesus creates the life of Jesus. And out comes Lazarus in his grave clothes. Listen, that's a picture of what God does for anyone who puts their faith in him. That's actually the thing that allows us to believe. That's the grace by which we've been saved is this initiating, calling out, Luke, come forth. Denise, come forth. Bill, come forth. This is the word of God by his spirit awakening our hearts and making us alive together with Christ. But listen, it doesn't stop there because look at what it then says in verse 6. It says, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Get this. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, by faith in Christ, you are so united to Jesus that it's like Jesus' experiences become yours. Get this. Jesus is made alive through his resurrection. Jesus is raised up. And Jesus is right now seated at the right hand of his Father, reigning. And here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, if you're in Christ, that's where you are too. Your true life is in Christ. And so you may be in a situation where just life just only feels like death. Maybe you're mourning actual death of people close to you, people in your family, people you love. Maybe you're mourning the decaying and dying of your body as it just breaks down. Maybe you're mourning the death of a relationship or the death of a dream. You had this idea of here's what my life's going to be and it hasn't been that way. Listen, if you're in Christ, you're alive and you're seated with Christ in the heavenly places. This means that the rest of your life is actually the process of becoming who you already are. That's an amazing thing. So if you're a follower of Jesus, you have life, you have power, you are with Christ no matter how dark it looks. Why? Because God is a God who intervenes. You go from as dead and hopeless as possible 
That's what verse 3 said, a child of wrath, to as gloriously alive as possible, seated with Christ. That's the transformation that happens. So that's what God did. The question then is, well, why? Why did he do that? What was God trying to do? Why why did he do that? Well, this passage describes it. God moved us from death to life to display who he is. God moved us from death to life. Why? To display who he is. Notice that it's God doing all this. It's God who raised us up. It's God who seated us. It's God who made us alive. We didn't do it ourselves. God did this. Why? To display who he is. Look at who he is. In verse 4, it says that God is rich in mercy. It says that he has great love with which he loved us. Not just regular love, great love. He's a God of grace. That's what it says. By grace you've been saved. Not just grace, but immeasurable grace. Look at what it says in verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Listen, God is rich in mercy. God is great in love. God is immeasurably rich in grace. Now, I find that to be incredibly comforting because I'm pretty poor in all those things. Like, I can be merciful, but I feel like I kind of have a limit. I'll be merciful. I won't give you what you deserve. I'll give you mercy once, maybe twice. Maybe even three, right? I, but, but like, I, I kind of got a limit. I mean, I, I love, but really, I kind of mostly just love those who love me. I try to be gracious, but, you know, I, just like you, I, I get tired. I get worn out. I mean, I just kind of have this limited capacity for grace and kindness and love and self-control and all those things. Get what it's saying. God is not limited in those things. He's abundantly rich. He's not running out. He's not like, whoa, 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 whoa. If I give you grace, I only have so much. No, no, no. He's immeasurably rich in grace. He has great love. He has great mercy. And God is all those things, but he's bringing us into this new life. Why? To display it. Look at what it says in verse 7. Why is he doing all this? So that... That's the reason. So that in the coming ages, he might show, he might display. That's what that word show means, to display, to put on display, lift up, make everyone see it, that he would show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You know that feeling when you buy somebody a gift and you know it's the perfect gift? You ever had that? Maybe for a birthday or for Christmas or Maybe even Easter. Maybe some of you do gifts on Easter. I had this friend in college who they did like Christmas-style presents on Easter. I was like, how do I get into this family? This is amazing. <laughs> right? Do you ever have a time when you, like, you, you see it, like maybe you even see it like in June, and you're like, I'm getting that for Christmas for this person because it's the perfect thing. And all year you're just like, oh, it's going to be awesome. This is perfect. This is exactly what they need. This is exactly what they want. I can't wait to give it, right? And there's something in you that's like, you're excited to Christmas, not just because what you're going to get, but because you want to give this gift. You want to show it to them, right? And you get out your phone and you're videoing and you're like, this is so great, right? You're just so excited. Listen, here's what this is saying. This is saying that that's how God is going to feel forever. 
Right? Every morning in the new heavens and the new earth, you're going to wake up and God's going to be like, I got something for you. <laughs> what is it? What is it? It's me. Yeah! Right? Like, it's mercy. It's love. It's grace. Like, for the coming ages, he's never going to get tired of showing this to you. And you know what? We're never going to get tired of seeing it. Because this is the God who took us from as dead and hopeless as we could possibly be to as gloriously alive as we could possibly be. And so we will just every day go, wow, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, God, thank you. Oh, God, you're amazing. That's what it's going to be. That's what it is to live a life in Christ. No matter how dark, no matter how hopeless, no matter how your circumstance doesn't change, you have this reality that you are in Christ, that you are alive, that you are hopeful, that you have a future, and that forever God will be revealing himself to you. Have you experienced that life? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Listen, if not, you are still dead. You're still processing everything through what's in it for me. Listen, God wants to set you free from that. And it happens by trusting in Christ, by receiving his grace, by experiencing his saving, resurrecting, making you new power, by hearing him call out to you, come out of the grave. Come live a new life of freedom and hope and joy. This is the message of Easter. God moved us from death to life to display who he is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for displaying, for showing, for revealing who you are, the richness of your mercy, the greatness of your love, the immeasurable wealth of your grace and your kindness. And God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, hearts to embrace who you are, that this world and this universe and this life is not about us, it's about you. Father, I pray as we listen to the stories of people being baptized, as we watch them go down in the water and up out, God, I pray that you would, through that, help us to see you, help us to see your work, help us to see your love and your grace and your mercy. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.